I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I Want Your Job. And today I have somebody who has a great job and I don't want the job, but man, I wish I had the skill set that went with the job. Um, Mara, what is your job title? Hello, everyone. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, Well, my job, uh, I'm a hand embroidery artist and I own a fashion brand where I work with hand embroidery, of course. So I create... um, T-shirts, hoodies, and scarves with hand embroidery and motivational words for to support a positive mindset, a, a growth mindset for all the women out there. And all of your stuff is beautiful. We have all of the links to your um, shop in the um, in the show notes, and people should just go and look because it is. Your work is so beautiful. I love the the photos that you have on your website of like the the smaller stitching and more yeah. of the patterns. Yeah, the process. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, it's uh, actually not everyone understands, of course, uh, how long and time consuming is the process, but how um, interesting and healing is for me, for example. Um, so because personally hand embroider every single thing that you sell? Uh, well, at the moment I started uh, doing, okay. it, uh, doing it all myself, but uh, now I have some people helping, Okay. fortunately, because it, it's, it's growing. So sure. yeah, I definitely need help because for each piece, I need at least one hour to make. So it wouldn't okay. be possible for me. I mean, the day has the same hour for me, like for everyone else. Absolutely. So, um, uh, normally, my process starts from an idea knocking at my uh, brain and uh, asking to come in. So um, I start sketching. Uh, so the first part is putting on paper, drawing, drawing, drawing. And normally, I take inspiration from uh, the things that I love, that uh, is theater, museums, books. It can be just a sentence in a book or conversations because I like, well, you'll you'll see why I say that, but I like to talk. And um, sometimes just a conversation, a casual one in the tube, for example, Mm -hmm. and um, a a new idea came up. Um, Then from the sketch, I transferred the, I create a pattern and I transfer it on the pieces. And then I started the actual work. And um, embroidery is very slow, um, but um, it's very nurturing and relaxing. Um, And uh, the act of using hands and brain, like for every craft or art, um, whatever we want to call it, um, it starts uh, motivating me. And I want to see it also like a transfer of energy in the pieces I do for people. And then finish the the work, it's ready to sell. So I am a huge proponent in my personal life. Of, I love supporting artists. I love buying art. My favorite way to buy art is always in like a usable format. So like um, 
my business partner is a ceramicist who she's kind of a big deal locally as such, but like, I love having amazing pieces of ceramics that like I get to use and hold and engage with the, the artistry of it. And I love about what you do that. It's that same kind of thing that like, you're literally able to wear to have like exactly. on your body that art, whereas like, don't get me wrong. Paintings are beautiful. Sculpture is beautiful, but it's very removed and you don't have that tactile engagement exactly you use the, the the keyword for me hand embroidery is very important because it's a very tactile uh way to uh, deliver art and the fact that you can carry it with you all the time makes it more valuable and also because the i hand embroider words motivational words so if you keep a reminder on yourself of the words that can motivate or uh, make you feel better along the day they have a double um, use. I mean, you are not only using beautiful fashion and covering yourself, but you are actually carrying with, with you a mantra. Uh, like I like to call, uh, call the pieces like magic capes and uh, for the modern uh, heroines out there. I love that idea. I just, I'm, I'm not a big mantra girl. Full disclosure, like I, I'm not good at woo-woo, Mara. I'm not. So like, there's a lot of, <laughs> even as a coach, like that's when I, when I'm bringing on a new coaching client, I always have to say, like, if you want somebody who's going to give you a mantra, if you want somebody who's going to tell you to, me to meditate, I am not the droid you're looking for. Cause I am not. I'm, I'm neither. I'm neither. Like, I, I'm, I can't actually, I mean, the classical way of meditation and it's not for me. In yeah. fact, for me, hand embroidery is uh, the alternative because oh, like it's more that. physical. It's more okay. physical and engaging. The fact of the words is, uh, and of course, the words, I don't even personally believe uh, that you, if you repeat the word, it will happen. I mean, if you don't do something, if you don't take action, <laughs> you can repeat all the words you want nothing happens. So for me, the word is more the symbol of the action that you need to take more yeah. than the mantra that you have to repeat in automatically and make it happen because magic exists, but only if you take action. Otherwise, I love that. <laughs> that is a great thing to say. I hope that's on something. Magic exists, but only if you take action. That's the scarf that I need right there. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Um, it, hilariously, my my oldest son's name is Magic. So I would think that that was, he was like, mama, that's my scarf. And yeah. <laughs> so I, I love the tactile nature of what you do. I love the artistry. How did your craft evolve from hand embroidery, which we all kind of know and think of as you know, cross stitch or like yeah. bigger embroidery pieces. How did yeah. it go from that to this, you know, wearable words of motivation and that sort of thing? Well, actually, I met hand embroidery for the first time when I was eight years old. And at the time was, of course, simply a craft uh, because I always like to make things with my hands. So I, 
I, I think I tried most of the crafts in existing in the world. And, uh, but I remember that my approach was more granny style because my mom wanted to convince me that cross stitch is the only hand embroidery possible. And I remember to have a fight with her because she said, no, 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 I want to draw something and then hand embroider it. Anyway, with my limited um, experience, I made it and I never left it again. That does mean that I, I am embroidered every day of my life, forget it, especially during the teenage uh, period. <laughs> that wasn't really a, an interesting occupation. But then over time, I went back to hand embroidery several times, but more as a hobby, definitely, to relax and uh, to heal let's say myself in a period um, after my second pregnancy. Uh, I've been expat for several years. So at the time I had my second child, I moved again country. My, I didn't have family around. My husband uh, worked crazy hours and I needed to find myself again. And, and I did it through crafting. And I got stuck with hand embroidery again, because it was the one that gave me more pleasure at the time. And then I started making hats and bags. And then, of course, there's always the process when the family and friends really like it. And then you start making the uh, presents for Christmas and everyone is happy. And then you say, oh, really? But I, I mean, I was... Um, uh, always working in publishing. I had my own publishing house that I unfortunately had to close down. I needed, I wanted to go back to work, but uh, I was never a very corporate uh, kind of person. Um, so I said, why not? But at the time I was living in Greece um, and it was a bit difficult. I mean, the concept of the online business uh, was also from a bureaucratic point of view, even difficult to uh, create. So the moment we moved to London, it's when officially uh, my business uh, basically started. And um, the, the rest is uh, history. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how much I identify with like almost every part of that story until you get to the part where you're a talented craftswoman, like, because so for me, um, when, so I was director of talent acquisition, um, for, uh, an organization and I got pregnant and my husband and my body said that I was not going to do both of those things. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, so I left and then the plan was for me to be a stay at home mom and, I was very not good at that. Yeah. And I think especially for me, you know, coming from recruitment in particular, one of the great things about working in recruitment is that you can really quantify that you're good at your job. Mm -hmm. You can say like you have, we have a lot of stats <laughs> in recruitment. So I can yeah. absolutely tell you that I am a kick-ass recruiter and I can give you a bunch of numbers to back that up. You don't get those reports as a mom. As yeah, a mom, definitely. No. There is Do nothing. I have only your brain making tricks on you? Yeah. Absolutely. And so I, I completely understand. It was the same thing for me. I was like, I have to get out of this house. I have yeah. to get this child out of this house. <laughs> yeah. And I have to be doing something where I feel in control and where mm -hmm. I feel like I'm doing a good job because 
the rest of the time as a mom, I'm like, I think every mom out there these days, they, we all feel like we're failing all the time, right? Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Most perfect and most amazing mom out there probably feels like she's doing a horrible job because there's so much negative influence and like everybody has an opinion, right? So I, yeah. So for me, I was like, I need something. I need a win, <laughs> like a weekly win. And so that was how I wound up going back to work and starting my own company um, mm -hmm. because I got tired of working for men um, telling me um, that what to it, do. Yeah. What women should be like. And yeah. so here I am. So I, I a hundred percent hear and feel your story all the way through. Yeah. So you... And it is the case of many women, uh, of course, because uh, you are tired to, to hear everyone saying, ah, you are the mom of, or the wife of, so no, I have a name, I have a personality, I'm a person, I want to go back to that. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that like people get hung up on the whole like loss of earnings and that sort of thing of women. And don't get me wrong, that's totally unfair and it's wrong and we should work to fix it. But I really think that it's more about we so undervalue the work of a mom mm, yeah. that for women who are choosing to stay home like i i just don't know how they do it like i literally would have people delivery drivers bring things to my home and they'd be like oh you're a stay-at-home mom must no. be nice <laughs> i'm like oh hey judgy mcjudgerton stop yeah. ew um and but that was uh, of course fun. there are people who enjoy it and i don't i mean no uh, I, I think mean, it's, it's wonderful not, uh, yeah fortunately there are people enjoying it and nothing against them actually i'm very happy that uh, they feel fulfilled in this uh, in this role but it's not for everyone definitely Absolutely. And, and there isn't right or wrong of course there it's a very personal a very very personal choice well and i you know i just feel like i i wish that i had felt societally supported in the decision mm -hmm. to stay home in the same way that I am societally rewarded for the decision to go back to work, work yeah, and make a company. I don't want to like, none of this is on my husband. He was very like, I love and support you no matter yeah, what you do. Like same, he was definitely not yeah. the problem. The problem yeah. was the rest, <laughs> the of, the rest of the world. <laughs> so I know I've had an opportunity, like people think in the US that I'm well-traveled and that I've had an opportunity to do a lot because I've lived in a few different countries, but I have nothing on you. Like, how many countries at this point have you lived in, Mara? Well, I lived in London. I moved to London, then to Mexico, then to Portugal, then Greece, and then back to uh, London. I'm from, I'm originally from Italy anyway. Okay. So I we left. Italy, England, Mexico. Mexico, Portugal, Portugal Greece. Greece. Right. So five. So you totally kicked my butt entirely <laughs> on that. I have done the US, I've done Russia, um, and oh. I've done um uh London. I can't even think. I lived in London for ten and a half years. So I've done oh. the UK, but like you know, that but that's it. I've got three to your five. So um that is a lot of moving around. First of all, where does that opportunity come from for you to get to move so often? Well, my, the first move is, was finally to break free and leave my country. I mean, I love Italy. I love my family, but 
I felt like in a cage at some point. I come from the south of Italy that is more uh, a traditional country. My dad was very traditional, uh, traditionalist and um, there's a high rate of unemployment. Anyway, my dreams didn't match with the reality, definitely. So I wanted to leave because I got, um, actually I studied, I got a master's degree in foreign languages and literature. So it made sense at some point to finally leave. So I moved to London for that reason. And the idea was to stay there six months, but you know how it happens. I never went back, of course, uh, because in the meantime, I met my husband and uh, he, has, uh, he works in a multinational. So we started moving around actually for his job. Um, so also there, the first assignment was Mexico. That is amazing, an amazing country. I mean, one of the most amazing memories that we have uh, of the period we lived there. But I became the, the wife who follows. That uh, wasn't really nice, <laughs> to be honest, because see, I took get there and work and I didn't have anything waiting for me. Mm -hmm. So, but I found a job and then eventually I founded my own uh, publishing house. Uh, so it was simply amazing. I mean, a really, really a dream come true. Then, um, but unfortunately, when we came back to Europe, it was a bit difficult to keep the balance uh, because uh, there's the time difference yeah. uh, and the big distance. I ended up, uh, in the meantime, I had my first baby, uh, who is called Maya, by the way, to honor Mexico. Um, so in Europe, I mean, it was difficult. I ended up working like 12, 13 hours a day and I was very close to a burnout and I had to decide to step out and uh, leave. Uh, well, eventually with my partners, we closed down the, the publishing house because uh, it didn't make sense with me uh, away. Yeah. So, so let's say that I, I've been through, and I actually I have an hand embroidery that says um, disruption is creation because all the moments of crisis are actually moments of growth. And I had, I, I can point out the, the ones I had and how I grew on the other side of the storm, right? So yeah. this was another one because to close down the, the dream, that was, uh, it will always be for me, the first baby, my publishing house. It was heartbreaking. It that, took me a lot oh. to recover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also because of course, again, I was in a new country with a little baby, no family around and, so I decided uh, to take all the courses that I never had time to take. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was drawing and painting and sewing and um, millinery. I mean, you name it, really. Uh, that it was amazing, of course. Um, but still, I always had uh, that little dream uh, knocking and saying, away, <laughs> when is my moment? <laughs> But anyway, with the small kit, it wasn't easy. And then we moved again. And then the story from Greece onwards and till today. So now there's a new company and a new dream. Yeah. And it's all going well. We've been having to hire help. That's always a good indication. Yes. <laughs> this is going well. It's when you have to hire help. 
So what are, you're in a space right now that's getting a lot of attention globally for a bunch Mm -hmm. of different reasons, right? So you're an artist making clothing with inspirations from all of these places that you've lived. There's a lot of talk about where is the line in fashion between cultural appropriation and Mm -hmm. influence. There's also a whole conversation we're having as a global community about disposable clothing and the need to return to more artisan pieces, et cetera. And also in your industry, because you didn't have enough with those, there's you know, supplier chain, eco issues, and then size inclusivity. And what does that look like? And how do we make everybody feel body positive and beautiful? Yeah. You did not pick an easy industry. Like, and that gets to <laughs> all of the competition and everything else. Yes. What, what were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I found myself in it. That it <laughs> and actually, it's not, it, it, it's true. I started on embroidery, as I said, to heal myself. And, but I had to find a way to have people touching it and keeping it all the time with them. And there wasn't any other way. Uh, I understand. I have a little known side hustle that is a a gourmet scone company called Getting Scones. And it's because COVID came. And if I was either going to kill my family or I was going to bake some shit. (laughs) So I started making... (laughs) <laughs> so I started baking scones because my husband is English and we both, oh, one of the few British scones. foods yeah. that we missed. Mm-hmm. So I started baking scones of all kinds of different flavors. And then it started with like people asking like, oh, hey, would you bake me these? I'll pay you if you bake me those. And I was like, well, if you won't start paying me. Then that's <laughs> yeah. So like, I feel you on how like side hustles can get out of control really yeah. quickly. But... Like you've leaned in, like you've gone all the way in and all of those different things are things that in setting up this business, because you're an experienced businesswoman, because you're not some naive person, like I'm just going to, you know, embroider things and hope for the best that I can't imagine you haven't thought about those. So let's kind of take those one by one and hear like what your thought process is, how, where you where you find yourself on the issue. So let's, let's talk about the, um, the whole idea of the, the influence versus cultural appropriation for you. Where is the line? I looked at your designs. There's nothing I would consider to be anywhere in close to cultural appropriation. Like I can see echoes in movement and shapes and, um, and some of that, but nothing that I would be like, Oh, right there. Yeah. So Start there. Me, I think definitely yeah. one of the good guys. But <laughs> like, no, for where... me, of course, um, of course, uh, uh, cultural appropriation would wouldn't be uh, even considered. I mean, ethically, I couldn't. First of all, from a practical point of view, I would get bored to copy something. First of all, secondly, it's a respect, of course. So I would never do it, and. I really want to uh, keep developing my my voice. I don't want the voice of someone else. I want my voice that resonates with, of course, my niche customers because I I I'm not uh, I, I don't want to please everyone, of course, but a range of people who understand my uh, creations. So definitely, 
I, I will never go in the risk of this. Of course, my traveling, my living abroad, my knowing people from all over the world is a big influence. It's a big inspiration. Uh, even if it's only their stories, I strongly believe in storytelling. So it's definitely something nurturing um, behind the scenes, my creations. Um, but of course, in fact, for the same reason, I decided not to compromise uh, my art. What I mean is, um, normally artists feels, uh, feel frustrated when they have to create or to please a, a customer. Mm -hmm. a, 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 yeah, to, to make sales, basically. But I think that you, if you keep your passion and you uh, keep real to your um, ex expression and your art, you don't need to compromise on that because people either like you or, you don't, or they don't. If they don't, they are not your customer, full stop, because there's a lot to negotiate and compromise on the commercial side of a business. So we don't need to do it. Uh, on the creative uh, part, especially as artists, we already think most of the time uh, that we cannot make money, no? I mean, right. we always Absolutely. have this uh, old story in our head. So we already have to overcome that. Once we overcome that, we have to keep stick to our uh, voice, uh, to our style and keep going, definitely. And you asked, for example, for... Um, uh, body inclusivity and if I thought of that. Uh, until now, uh, as you know, I have only three sizes available on uh, my range of clothes and yeah. it was a forced choice. As okay. a small business, I had to, yeah. of course, their compromise and accept blank pieces already existing. But uh, of course, my plan is to have my own uh, designs developed. And there I can go from minus uh, XS to 4XL and cover all the shapes and beauty of the women in the world. Yeah, because I was so disappointed. I genuinely, like, I love some of your designs. And I was like, I'm going to buy me one of these. And then I was like, I cannot buy me one of these. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that in the meantime, you should uh, have a thing on there that says order a custom piece. Ah. Yeah, yeah, but I, I make bespoke pieces, of course. So there, there's yeah. no problem. And we can uh, source wherever. So it's we'll talk possible. offline because, yeah, your stuff is so beautiful. So I love that you've already thought about all of these things. Talk to me about for the, because you don't make the clothing itself. You just make it yeah. extra beautiful. So mm -hmm. when you were sourcing your clothing and the actual pieces that you were going to embroider, that is such a huge trust moment for any artisan, for any small business, right? Like that is a primary component in your product. And that's, that's not easy. How did you, what, how did you find your source? How did, what factors went into deciding who you were going to use? What does that look like? Yeah, actually, it's not an easy uh, task because uh, it takes time. Uh, it takes a, a big investment because until you touch the pieces, you can never say, you can see all the pictures you want, but you have to touch it and touch it. And of course, uh, get information because uh, nowadays we don't want anything 
that makes our environment worse or that um, is not uh, ethical or anything. We, we don't want the, the bad stuff in yeah. any way. So, um, of course, I had to try several uh, samples uh, before mm. getting to the companies uh, that I chose to work with. And they are two and they are based in, uh, in England. And this was another choice. Unfortunately, the shipping costs are a barrier. So I couldn't uh, also because, of course, I, I don't do orders of uh, uh, 5,000 pieces each time. It's a bit smaller sure. still. Uh, the but, day, the day. <laughs> exactly, for now. Um, so I had to consider different factors. So shipping costs, materials, um, and I try to use only uh, organic cotton or 100% recycled materials. Um, and, and of course, the quality, because my scarves, for example, they are 100% silk and they are manufactured in Italy also there and have samples in silk i mean the the investment is a lot because they okay. don't do just one piece right oh, so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, and also you have to see the colors in that case uh, um, while of course with t-shirts and uh, hoodies uh, you don't have that problem at least yeah that well i mean there is there's pink and then there's pink do you know what i mean like there's blue and then there's blue yeah so, at the moment i'm working only t-shirts only white and black unless they are custom made of course uh and it's exactly also for that reason um because it makes it easier to to choose basically sure. but of course you can choose any color you want so I, <laughs> I love that you made the choice to um, keep it made in Britain because like, again, lived there for 10 and a half years, huge soft spot. And I understand from a local market perspective, what made in Britain means. Like I know what it means to the economy, to the people, et cetera. What has that process of working with that manufacturer in the UK, what has that been like? Is there very much of a like... I get this sense, you always get the sense people talk about it, that there's this like, hey, now we're family and things were, you know, back in Britain and all of that. Or is it still kind of cold and like, we're just going to make a bunch of t-shirts and you can buy them right off? Like, oh, okay. Uh, I love to work with companies in England. I have to say the customer service is excellent. Maybe because I'm Italian and in Italy, the customer service is terrible. <laughs> so um, I'm American. So relatively speaking, they're all terrible. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, here the customer service is excellent. I mean, the value as a customer, you buy one t-shirt or uh, 5,000, you are on the same level. And for me, that is very important as a yeah a small business um, because you feel valued and you know that you can grow they um, they support you in mm. some way um, anyway with brexit unfortunately um, the shipping um, is even worse yeah. so even if i wanted it was very difficult to get a company from somewhere else because ideal of course the companies uh, in uh, in England, they uh, produce in India or Africa anyway, because of yeah. course it's where the cotton is, so they couldn't do it differently. Um, so go to go for me to go directly to these countries at the moment with Brexit would be a disaster. It wouldn't be possible uh, at all as a small business, of course. 
maybe in the future, if they understand what they are doing with Brexit, we will I'm see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I am definitely not holding my breath on that uh, anytime <laughs> soon. If you missed it, I am not a big Brexit fan, but my in-laws feel differently. Um, yeah, so okay. A different generation, I know. <laughs> that is, that's what their excuse is. I feel like you're never too old to stop being an asshole, Mara. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you may put that on a shirt for free. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So one of the things that Brexit is doing, though, is it is making even like the UK producers, like there's so many reports that they can't get things because the ports are tied up because there's no infrastructure that we talk here about, like the reports of the flowers that are like rotting in the trucks trying to get from yeah, Dover are a lot of into delays. London. And yeah. yeah, because of just the insanity of the whole thing that like, I hear that at least you're not having to ship a finished product from India or where have you to you, but like they don't have cotton fields in Yorkshire, right? So yeah. yes. like they're still no, having so far we are, How is that? Yeah. Yeah. So far for me, I have uh, not been impacted to be honest. Uh, and also here they keep saying that the delays are nothing related to Brexit, but to COVID, but who knows? Um, but no, I mean, I mean, I'm, um, for, uh, uh, so far, huh? I mean, I had some problems with some sizes, the, um, for some reason, the uh, small sizes were difficult to source. So they had to come from uh, one of their base in Germany, but I, I don't think it was related to Brexit. The problem that I have, uh, is more to get my stuff out. Um, because I have to make sure that I pay all the taxes myself that got huge, because otherwise my customer in Italy, for example, goes to pay almost double of the price of the good. And it's easy for them to send it back, of course, yeah. if it's unexpected. Or there are huge delays because when uh, a package leaves uh, the UK, gets stuck in custom in the, the country, wherever it goes. And I know in Italy and Greece, especially, it's mm -hmm. a nightmare, really, it's a nightmare. Much better Spain, France, or, I mean, but... Well, I think COVID hasn't helped either, right? So we have major shipping delays and backups and all the ports in the U.S. as well. Yeah. Like our supply, yeah. supply chain is just like Looney Tunes right now. There's all kinds of random stuff that people can't get a hold of. There's a couple like the big fast food chains over here that are out of bacon. Uh, yeah. Which... Yeah. Uh, from that randomly. I mean, you hear, I don't know, whatever, uh, yeah. bread or uh, there were a lot of uh, deli uh, goods from Italy that didn't, they didn't come at all for Christmas, for example. Uh, you were stuck with English food. I'm so sorry. What did no, you No, I went to Italy for two weeks. No <laughs> oh, worries. Good. <laughs> Oh, my days. I feel like, especially now that Giuseppe's won the Great British Bake Off this year, right? Like, clearly, like, the line has been drawn that the superior food is all Italian, right? Like, yeah, well. <laughs> they have lost we any, like, well, <laughs> every Italian did. But I feel like you've really driven the point home <laughs> this year in particular. Finally. <laughs> I don't know if you watch the Great British Bake Off, but I assume that everybody does. Uh, at the, at the yeah, it's, uh, from time so, to time. Yeah. Um, 
so all of that are huge impacts on your business. So one of the things that I have, I always wonder with artists, like how do you scale? Because you have your designs that you've created, but ultimately it is a, a hand done thing. Mm -hmm. So you said you've got people working for you. Talk to me about that process. Like, how do you, I've been a recruiter for 20 some odd years. I have no idea how I would recruit on your behalf. Like I don't, I can't even think how I would start. So I now <laughs> have an idea. It's a sort of start. a nightmare in fact. Yeah. So how, how do you recruit people? What does that look like? How do you, how do you let go? Because I can't let go of resume writing and recruitment. I can't imagine yeah. letting go of I'm art. a freak of control. I told you everything. So, and a perfectionist on the path to recovery. So I hear it's you. been very difficult, but I had a choice. Either I stayed with my 10 t-shirts per month or I had to delegate and trust other people. The problem, in, uh, the problem was uh, to find people. I have to say it was very difficult. Um, I don't know why, because I mean, hand embroidery has a very long tradition in England. So I was expecting to just ask out there and have thousands of people. And it's not the case because the people who do it, either they have their own business, if they are very good, or they are studying and they don't have the skills yet, or are older people who learned maybe in the past and would like to uh, take uh, again the, um, the craft. Mm -hmm. So I found here in England only two people willing to try and unfortunately they had to do make samples, right? And it was simply a disaster. Really, I was shocked how someone can say that can do something, but they definitely can't. So I understood that, that um, I had to find another way. And I started looking for people in my country, not because they are better, but because I know that uh, also in Italy, there's a long tradition of uh, hand embroidery. And I know that most of the people of my, maybe uh, my pre the previous generation, my mom's generation, they did it all at school. So they are all very good. And in fact, I found like 10 people willing to try. So I had three women uh, making samples for me and they were simply excellent. Of course, they worked also already with the big brands like uh, Armani, Gucci, this kind of brands. So they had quite a lot of experience. So I had the opportunity to meet them physically because this is the other thing. There was all this, okay, I send you the piece, you make the sample, you send it back, I check it. Okay, it's okay, but you want to see people. So fortunately, I could meet them in person when I went to visit my parents in Italy. And um, we just have to start, basically. But it wasn't easy also because uh, you want them to do it like you would do it, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't want one stitch out of the place because you are selling it with your face, right? Absolutely. Your name and everything and all the energy and the effort and the work behind is yours. Believe me, uh, my writers will tell you. 
because I don't <laughs> write the resumes, but you better believe I read every goddamn word. Yeah. They say, I don't like bullet point three halfway down page three. Absolutely. It's going straight back. And yeah, no, absolutely. So I feel you a thousand percent on that one too. Like I, mm -mm. My name. Uh, it was difficult. It is difficult, I have to say, because you are always worried um, for also for logistic reasons. Sometimes I don't see the final piece. So I have to trust. I don't have a choice yeah. because it's not made by a machine. But for me, it was a conscious choice. The fact that I didn't want to use machine. I will probably introduce for part of the work, but not for all of it. I always want the, the unique touch of the handmade um, element. I am really surprised that with the resurgence of crafts and hand embroidery and that sort of thing, like in this country, we can't keep like the um the rings and stuff we can't keep them in the shelves because with covid that's been something so many people have taken up is doing that and i get that like that's very much amateur status and not the league that you're looking at but i just would have thought that with the level of excitement that you would have been inundated with like thousands what of I people <laughs> and it's what I thought. Like, like nope 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 you know what I mean like yeah 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 that's crazy yeah but of course it's uh hand embroideries uh I mean you need so much practice it's years it's not that you just yeah, start yeah. and you can do it clean because it has yeah. to be it has to look almost like a machine, but uh, with a little imperfection that doesn't disturb you. So it's uh, not easy. I told you, I mean, I started the first time when I was eight. So yeah. I have an extensive experience. So, I, and not myself, only myself. There are amazing people out there, but they already work for themselves. I think that that is, that is such a good way like a good example of something that I've been struggling to articulate to people which is that there is something about when somebody is really really good at something like at a deep and profound professional level that when they do that thing it looks really easy yeah you yeah. just all you're doing is just sewing like it's just embroidery like you put the needle in, you pull the needle out like you follow the line yes. <laughs> how hard can it be right yeah. and it's the same like i have people who are like i've seen what recruiters do i know how you interview yeah. i can do that yeah. i'm like can you, can you <laughs> yeah know? are you sure think twice because, yeah because i just had what felt to that person like a chilled out like chitty chat couple of girls we could have had a glass of wine and they feel like they answered three questions and I feel like I have their entire professional backstory and everything I needed to know reading between the lines and everything else. And sure. every single moment of that was strategic for me, but it doesn't look it because that's what it's because like. For you, it seems easy. For my, just, for me, looking from outside, the outside, it seems easy what to do. Three yeah. questions. Okay. She asks only three questions. Well, wait. Yeah. 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 I can ask yeah. three questions. No problem. Yeah. But yeah. that is the reason why I found difficult to find someone to help me because yeah. I thought, okay, if I can do it, there will be thousands of people uh, willing and able to do it. But then you realize that it's much more than that. You have the experience um, 
the experience for sure, I mean, uh, of uh, a time and a quantity of works that you, you've done and no one can change that. Muscle memory, right? That like the feel of like the length of a stitch. Like for me, I would be like trying to count the little squares and then screwing it up and not in a stylish way, Mara, just like it is. Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, if you just start out, it's not totally normal. So my point is like, so when you're doing that, but when you've been doing it for 20 years, you have muscle memory for exactly how long that stitch is and you don't have to sit and count and you don't have to. It's the same. It's the same with drawing. I mean, of course there are talent and uh, talents and geniuses, I don't say they are not, but the more you draw, the more you will see the difference. And it's, as you say, I mean, it's practice and nothing more than that. And passion, of course, because for a long time, I had the difficult to call myself an artist because I don't have an academic background in, uh, I mean, uh, Academy of Arts or whatever. But then I told myself, I... I've been doing this from when I was eight, right? Then I took, I don't know how many courses afterwards, later in life. Really? I am an artist. I mean, probably someone coming out of the academy right now is not at my same level of skills. So why not? So I think this is such an interesting idea is what, who gets to use the brand, right? Who gets to use that label of artist? Because there are so many people who have never been professionally trained, but that's especially true of cottage practice, right? So things that have a strong cultural heritage that you would have learned from your mom or your grandma, but that there's not an art school to go to, to learn that. So there's a a woman I follow on TikTok who makes these beautiful um, decorated eggs um, Mm -hmm. uh, in the Eastern European style that she uses like wax and stuff. She learned from her grandmother. She's been doing it since she was seven. There's yeah. not a place, like, are there online tutorials on how to do this? I'm sure. Is there a fancy degree in Eastern European egg decorating? No, my friend, there is not. <laughs> and there is no yeah. doubt, looking at these incredible pieces that she makes, that she's definitely an artist. And she, but she says the same thing. She's like, I'm, I think of myself as like maybe a crafter. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. so it's, it is so interesting. It's such a prestige title and there's yes. like so many people kind of balk at this idea of like, oh no, I'm not worthy of the label. And it's, I, I find that fascinating where if you weren't thinking about yourself, if you were just thinking about like in general, mm-hmm. so trying to make it a little less personal, where do you think is the line around who gets to use the big label uh, and call themselves an artist? Is it about native talent? Is it about steady? Is it about a balance of the two? Where would you call that? I I think uh, you there's always this battle between the crafter and artist, right? Uh, and there's a line. Uh, and you cross that line, in my opinion, when you develop your style. When you have, uh, because only the passion and the uh, practice can make you uh, able to start and finish a piece, right? But if you have a style and it's unique to you, to you and it, it appeals to others, then that is when you are an artist. This is my opinion. I think it's a good opinion. Yeah. <laughs> also because 
in, in that case, you see, uh, again, the passion. And in fact, funny enough, now they are, there's a lot of discussion about the people who studied uh, a, a craft and people who didn't, uh, that the people who, who did study have um, like boxes, they, they go to, to take the tools, while the others have the freedom to experiment and um, leave the passion free. Of course, in some cases, you get to the same point with a bit more effort if you don't know the technical stuff, but sure. sometimes the technical stuff can be a limitation. So it's always probably a balance. Again, I mean, at some point you don't do it only with your passion. You start taking courses because you want to see what other people do and uh, touch with your hands uh, what they do. So at least it's what um, happened to me. I know I um, totally get it. Like I said, my business partner is an artist. Um, she's a big deal as such locally. She will deny it, but it's true. Um, and we were doing a while back some craft project at my house. I am not an artist. Let me just be very clear. I have zero acumen in that regard. Um, and I was doing something and it looked awful. And she walked over with a paintbrush and just went, and then it looked fabulous. And I was like, <laughs> that is cheating. How do you do that? That is the magic. And she said, the black line is always true in art. So if you are trying to paint something, so I was painting, I think like Christmas bubbles or something on something. And she just walked over with her paintbrush really quickly and did like a little black line around. And then they suddenly looked like Christmas bubbles. Yeah, it took life. To yeah. Like this like blob of paint on a thing. And like that, she was like, that's like art 101. So the first things they teach you, the black line is always true. So that when you're trying to make something clear and stand out, you can't just have color. Like you need black to set it up and I was like well now that is insider knowledge now and I use <laughs> that like if I have if I am trying to do crafts because the world likes a trier um, <laughs> so you know if I am trying to do some kind of craft I'm always like okay it's all right we can screw this up and then the black line is always right <laughs> we <let> right black. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like you're right that there are techniques there are things that you can learn that suddenly like game changer right like you could probably yeah. have arrived at roughly that same place and knowing that that works well but man it's a lot easier if somebody just tells you of course of course oh <laughs> <my>. <laughs> it takes a lot much longer to do it intuitively absolutely uh, I cannot believe this, but we are already almost out of time because oh, no. I have been wow. going for, I know, it does not feel like we've been talking for almost an hour at this point, Mara, but we have. Um, so what have we not talked about that we definitely should? Uh, well, maybe where you can find me. Well, you are, uh, the link is in the show notes for real. Um, and I will genuinely be talking to you about a custom piece um, after, offline because I'm excited about that. So yes, for sure. Find you there. Are you other places? So we'll have all of your links to you. Is there anything upcoming people should know about? Uh, well, I'm also a podcaster, a fellow podcaster. Uh -huh. So you can um, go and listen to my podcast as well. And um, of Is course, for Italian? my... 
Sorry? Is it in Italian or is it? No, 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 no. It's in English. <laughs> it's, uh, it's called Empowering Voices. It's, uh, yeah, storytelling from uh, women to women. Oh, nice. Um, and, um, but of course, for my business, for the fashion business, uh, of course, um, if uh, for new subscribers, there's always an, a nice and uh, welcome present uh, awaiting. So nice. go and sign up. Noted. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions that I ask everybody, and you don't get to escape from this, is um, how do you handle it when somebody asks you how much you make? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, this is a question that uh, uh, Italians do a lot. Uh, I always find it a bit um, rude, but mm -hmm. it happens. And um, I escape a bit the question. I say I'm growing and developing. Okay. I like, I get all kinds of answers. My husband is English, so he's very circumspect. And uh, yeah. Oh, my husband was shocked the first time in Italy. I think my uncle asked him, ah, how much do you make any, every month? He was <laughs> having like an attack. So no, <laughs> Britishness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband's like, um, I do all right. <laughs> That's yeah. the standard answer is I do all right. <laughs> So I understand totally, but I do think that there's something different about asking artists how much they make because inevitably people, one of the things that frustrates me no end is when people try to say, well, why would I, why should I pay that for yours? I could go to pick a shop and get like, no, you can't buy this at pick a shop. That's the whole point. Yeah. Pick a shop uses machines and mm -hmm bad labor practices and terrible environmental practices. Yeah. There are many reasons why the prices are uh, different, yeah. uh, of course. And like, so I guess my first question is, do, do you actually find that you encounter that a lot? Like, have you had any of that pushback? Like, really? It's embroidered. I can order a hundred embroidered shirts for this cost or, you know, do you get that? Uh, to be honest, I was having a, a pop-up shop in a big department store in England, and you know John Lewis, mm -hmm. and uh, and I it was my proud moment, and I had of course a lot of customers saying, "Oh, how amazing!" Of course, and it's uh, fantastic. One customer, she came and said, "Look, your pieces are fantastic, but are overpriced," and she left. The part that hurt me was, I mean, everyone has uh, the, the opinion, but that she left and didn't let me answer because I would have told her, okay, how much would you pay? Are you able to do it? So do it yourself if you can. <laughs> Why to bother? No, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be that rude, but... Um, but you're not wrong. The only, like... the, it's the only time it happened to me and it left me like... Why didn't you engage with me? I would have explained why. That yeah. is not overpriced in itself, but of course, if you say, okay, but you do it at home, how long does it take? Why do you charge that much? Well, there are many things going into that so many price, things. including my, my work, because of course, if I don't pay myself, there's no point. It does, you don't call it business anymore. You call it hobby. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more on that one. And I love that you're putting a price tag on your time because that is 
one of the things that A, artists in general, but B, small business owners are really bad about doing is valuing their own time. They're like, oh, my cost for this was only X. Incorrect. That was only your cost if you didn't eat. Yeah, exactly. We discount our our time all the time. And it's, uh, it's, that is the reason when you start uh, increasing your quantities, scaling up, you have a problem because Mm -hmm. you have more quantities, but you are not making any money. So it's very important. This is a suggestion I want to give to every, every business, put your price in first and then all the rest all the costs related to it. So I actually, so we, um, we struggled the opposite way. Cause we were, we were like, okay, so we, we think that like, this is how much we need to charge for this because it's kind of what the market allows. And then we looked at it and we're like, we can't do the job that we would put our name on for that price. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a no. <laughs> And so then we had to reevaluate and kind of set back and be like, okay, so what is fair? Like, how do we arrive at something that... Of course, of course. At some point you have to, yeah. Yeah. Like both lets us eat and pay each other what we, you know, what we think the people should be paid, at least as a minimum. And at the same time allows us to do that and create a product that we're happy to be associated with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's... So it can be a little more tricky, but I do generally speaking, agree with you that you need to, as part of your price, like you need to include your time and definitely don't be in a rush to discount as often as yeah. I think. There will be always an occasion to discount, especially when you start, uh, in my case, uh, going into retail, for example. Yeah. That is, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you start cutting before even going there, when you get there, that uh, their margin is not not nowhere to be find found. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, um, I love how much we have in common. I love how many things that we agree on. Clearly you're a genius as a business owner and a woman, because we are so much alike on so many. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Um, And I so appreciate you having taken the time to talk to me today. I know it's your evening in particular. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank thank you for having me, for inviting me. It was a great honor. We almost didn't make it, but. But here we are. Here we are. (laughs) So thank you again, Mara. Thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to, Hey, I want your job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.